everyone no uh no big exuberant intro today it's once again a solo episode a solo pod for your friend nerlin my co-host miles is what i like to call off the grid today uh, well at least for this episode he's off the grid in an undisclosed location we're not going to get into whereabouts that location is because quite frankly it's confidential um, and I'm not willing to rat out my partner to anybody, um, whether or not it be just a regular pedestrian, a listener, or an authority figure. I'm not going to do that because I have, I, I, I have, I have my, I have my, my trust and my, um, my pact with my co-host Miles that I will make sure his his whereabouts remain unknown. But. Miles did want to give me a message, uh, just just to just to mention to you guys. Um, uh, so he was supposed to give me more information here. I'm, I'm currently reading through our reading through our text conversation right now, uh, but I basically just said, um, you know, is is there anything that you want to say to everybody? And um, he was going to say that this is this is from what he calls a series of texts called unhinged a peek inside the mental state of an alcoholic frat man child um and 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 as it as it stands right now i i only have one thing and it was never tell your family you love them die on the factory assembly okay let me rephrase that never tell your family you love them die on the factory assembly line be a man so that's exciting uh, also exciting, the Oilers really suck right now. Uh, as it stands at at this moment, they are two nine and two in their last thirteen games. I had to do the math in my head. I did not have that off the top of the dome, but it's it's a tender time, a scary time in oil country, if you will. So that's why I'm trying to come at this with a lot more of a laid back. Once again, smooth jazz approach that I had on the last episode. And that way I get to do it with this new fancy mic. So it sounds much, much, much more luxurious like a, like a cool car commercial. Um, what else is going on? Oh, Zach Lang from, ooh, re- rephrase that. Zach Lang from Oilers Nation is going to be joining me in about 20 minutes or so. Uh, well, Maybe like 10 from when you hear this, or maybe 5. Who knows? Who knows? This is the power of editing right now. And we're going to talk all things Oilers. We're going to talk, uh, we're going to talk about whether or not uh, uh, Dave Tippett should have a job today. Whether or not that's, that, that shoe is finally going to drop, we will we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I, my, my pessimism is telling me probably not. And I don't wish anyone to lose their job, but... When you have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you should probably be a little bit better than this right now. And yeah, it's just it's just a scary time right now, guys. It's it's really 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 spooky. I I don't like the idea of Connor McDavid watching this team at the moment and thinking to himself, "What the hell is going on?" I don't like the idea of Zach Hyman being like, "I just signed seven years here," and this this is the nonsense I have to deal with. 
And we'll get into that with Zach more about the Edmonton media, the play on the ice, uh, the partially concerning, but also like not that concerning underlying numbers behind it. It's really the goaltending more than anything and a bad shooting percentage. But we'll get into that when we uh, when we talk with Zach. But I just want to say thank you to everybody that's been listening. Um, I don't know if we're going to get another episode out before then. But January 12th will actually be our one-year anniversary at One for One. And I can't believe it. I honestly can't believe it. And I want to say thank you to everybody who has listened and has tuned in and has shared us and has given us their support and has taken part in the in the uh, uh, Pickapalooza. And everybody that's that's just been uh, interacting with us, It's it's been absolutely huge and i know that we still have a bit of a smaller fan base and those loyal listeners are phenomenal and and we love you so much and we're so excited to see watch this thing grow more and more um we want to get some more interviews in the bank and zach is going to be another really great addition especially after the really positive and warm reception we got from the jonathan torrens interview last week we just we want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts purely because it this this has been nine times out of ten you think to yourself that like these podcasts when people start them especially in the middle of a pandemic that you know you get you get maybe fifteen episodes into it and then it's and then it's done and over with you know I get bored from it but Miles and I have somehow created something where no matter what it's always so exciting that once a week we get to get together over over Zoom and just have discussions whether or not they be about hockey or the Oilers or anything like that it's exciting for us because it's a time where we just get to bond as friends more than anything and we don't get that very often because we live on separate sides of the country and um you know I think he's going to listen to this and he'll have a little tear rolling down his cheek because I miss my friend Miles and uh I think if you if you have your friends and you guys are that close and you guys want to talk to each other just just give each other a call. Send each other a text every now and then. It, it it really goes a long way. But more importantly, a year has gone by, and it it honestly feels like it was yesterday. I I I cannot believe it, and I'm so excited to get this thing going forward. Um, thank you everybody once again. I know I see thank you a lot, and I I know I uh you know I I know I wax poetically about the about the audience, but the audience is what keeps us coming to this and what keeps us going and whether or not there's 25 listeners or there's a hundred listeners or there's a thousand listeners. We appreciate the feedback, the support you guys tuning in, giving us any sort of tidbits or, um, you know, even, uh, any sort of insider information, shout out Jackson. But yeah, man, this is, this is exciting. And I've, I've had a lot of fun doing this and I hope that you guys are excited for the future of one for one. Um, going to be a couple of things coming up. I wanted to mention one started the YouTube channel. You can just find it at one for one podcast on YouTube. I think we have like seven views on the first podcast we posted there. I'd love to be able to come back in like three years and be able to say, haha, I remember when I said that, the, that our YouTube account had like seven views on it. But if you want to go, go over there, subscribe. I'm going to be uploading all the podcasts in video format. It does take me a while because of the amount of technical difficulties I do have getting everything set up, recorded, synced up with the audio. So you'll notice that when you watch 
when you watch this first podcast, there's going to be a lot of weird things, a lot of weird camera things that I had to do, and it's only because I'm, I'm just not very experienced with video editing, but I'm doing my best, doing whatever I can to get these out to you guys. Um, just so it, it's, it's, it's an extra layer of content for you. And if you're, if you're excited about that, please go subscribe, go like and comment and all that classic YouTube shit. Um, going to be also adding a second YouTube channel under maybe a bit of an umbrella. We'll see. We'll, we'll see where that's going. Um, but that's something that I'm going to personally do, and I'm not going to get into it too much right now, but. I'm excited for that as well, and I think it's just another bit of content uh, that you guys are going to have with the show and maybe with some other stuff. We'll see. But I think that's everything this week. So how about we bring Zach Lang on? How's that sound? That sounds fun. I want to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, Zach Lang. Well, joining us this week on One for One is uh, somebody I, I've, been, I've been interacting with on Twitter for the last little bit and uh, a really great follow on Twitter. Uh, Mr. Zach Lang, uh, the news director for Oilers Nation, Daily Faceoff, and the Nation Network. You can catch him periodically on ON Radio and the color commentator for the U of A Golden Bears men's hockey team. Zach Lang, welcome to the podcast. Nolan, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, I, I have to start off by saying um, it is basically uh, what's the term I'm looking for? It's it, it's a, it's a, a thing when when you usually do something in sort of like a celebration, you usually like have a have a have a celebratory drink or something. So I figured Absolutely. we could crack a beer live on Zoom because it's fun and it's uh, it's a Thursday, so we're almost we're almost at Friday. Almost Friday, man. Yeah. All right. Let's get everyone. Oh, you already got yours going. Okay, perfect. Yeah, there you go. I got a, I got an old fashioned that I uh, mixed up over here instead of going for the beer today. You know, keeping it light, keeping it tight. You know, got to mix that, it up every once in a while, right? That's that. That's exactly what I do. I basically like New Year's was a very, uh, was a very like socially isolated New Year's for me. I basically mm-hmm. just sat down in the basement and like just kind of hovered around my computer for the entire night, and. Yeah just had a few beer and it was, it was, it was a lovely little experience. I, uh, luckily got to sneak in, sneak in one movie before, uh, before everything all shut down here. I don't know how you guys are out there. Um, but I, I was, I was going to start off by saying, um, like I have to start off with the hardest hitting question, which is like, how many vertebrae have you snapped sh- shoveling snow so far in the season? Uh, honestly, I live in a condo, so absolutely zero. So my back feels great right now. I'm nice and loose. I'm limber, you know, my car's in an underground parkade too. So I don't even have to worry about brushing the snow off. No, and I'm not going to lie. I got it pretty good here right now, man. That's, uh, you know, that's, that's lucky for Alberta, man. We're, uh, we're like, believe it or not out here. It's like, I think, I think we had like a little cluster of snow on Christmas day. And other than that, it's been basically just cold wind the entire time. I feel like I'm back in Saskatchewan again. Yeah, we've had the extreme cold warning for like two, three weeks here now. So we've been like steadily below 25 below. So yeah, it's been it's been a little bitter that way. Uh, you know, we've had a little bit of snow here and there. But yeah, I used to live in Calgary and there I lived. Uh, the place I lived on was kind of like a corner lot. So there was a lot of shoveling that had to be done in Calgary. And so when uh, when my girlfriend and I moved up here, we were pretty happy to be able to move into a condo and not have to worry about uh, any of that good fun anymore. God, I I want to I want to say discover Alberta, but it, that's that I don't I don't even really know what like the with the <laughs> with the with the like log line for for Alberta is, but discover Alberta. Um, 
so I, I guess like we obviously have a ton of Oilers stuff to get into, um, but I wanted to just get in just a couple of quick little things just because, you know, people might not know about you and I want to kind of give you a little bit of background. So you're obviously you're the news director at Oilers Nation. That's what I typically see you as on Twitter, especially. Um, how'd you get started at the nation? Uh, so it all started years ago. Uh, when I was in high school, I grew up playing football um, ended up with a really bad concussion in high school and, and it kind of derailed my football career. And I wanted to, to kind of pursue that further. And, uh, I, I grew up an Edmonton Oilers fan, uh, I grew up living in Calgary. And so I was like the lone Oilers fan down Poor there. Bastard. And, yeah, I know it was a tough, it was a tough go. And so it all kind of started, like I got on Twitter in 2009 and a couple years later, um, I ended up meeting bagged milk, uh, from Oilers nation just through Twitter. And, coincidentally enough he ended up going to high school with my older brother at some point and so we kind of had a little bit of a background there like it was kind of weird and um he and another buddy ran an old website called gene shorts and bag milk revolution uh, about 10 years ago and um i asked him one day when i was i think it was grade 11 grade 12 i was like hey man like can i come write stuff like seems like it'd be kind of fun and it was at that point when i kind of realized hey i can get paid to watch hogs for the rest of my life and uh so it's pretty cool. And so I graduated high school, uh, went to journalism program and stuff like that. And then uh, basically between 2012 and 2016, I wrote for a number of different Oilers blogs, uh, Copper and Blue, Oil on White, uh, Beer League Heroes. I think there might have been another one mixed in there somewhere as well. So I had quite a bit of writing experience and um, I ended up getting to go to the uh, Memorial Cup. Uh, when it was in Red Deer, I think it was 2015 and uh, no 2016 rather. That was the year that Mitch Marner was there actually uh, with the London Knights. So it was pretty cool to watch that team play there. And um, about a couple months after that, Bagnell reached out to me and said, Hey man, we want to bring you on at the nation as a part-time writer. So I've been writing for the nation for you know, six, seven years now almost. And so um, it was kind of done and they always wanted me to kind of be able to move up here at some point full-time when the company grew properly. And so um, back in Calgary, I ended up working for, for some newspapers in Airdrie and in Calgary. And uh, about, a, well, two and a half years ago now, I bumped in a bag of milk in Calgary. He said, hey, let's make it happen. And so two years later, I'm living in Edmonton with my girlfriend and working for Others Nation full-time and just kind of living the dream now. So it's uh it's a ton of fun. Like I love what I do. I love to get to cover the Oilers. And, you know, this year we, we really upgraded daily face off as well. We brought on TSN's uh, well, formerly TSN's Frank Saravalli uh, to, to run the show there with us. So it's been pretty great to work with him and, uh, and grow that website as well. I, I bet right now the, like, if you guys have like a group chat or anything like that with like Frank Saravelli, it's probably just booming right now. <laughs> oh point. man, it's never quiet. Like there's <laughs> so much shit going on right now all the time. It's uh, yeah, it's a lot to keep track of, but, uh, but it's fine. It keeps, it keeps life interesting getting to cover hockey like this. So I, uh, I love what I do. The, the most impressive part, I actually, I, I think about your whole sort of journey and arrest me. I did a bit of a, like a, I did a bit of a LinkedIn creep. I I will admit, nice. and love it. The thing that I have to just commend you on, man, is like you've been doing this for quite a while, and you're a year younger than me, which I think is like incredible. I think that's incredibly impressive. I know I've said incredible. I apologize, but it's it's so impressive that you've done this at such a young age, and you yet you still have so much runway to grow and develop as a journalist. Um, you know, it is 
just in media in general, which I, th- I think is just a credit to how hard you've clearly worked along the way. So um, congratulations to where you are now, man. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, you know, years ago, I, uh, I've always been a very goals driven guy and, and I've always set big goals for myself long-term. And, um, you know, I think uh, I've worked really, really hard to be where I am and I've had to sludge through some, some tough jobs to, to kind of get here along the way, but um, it's kind of all been part of the journey. And I, you know, I wanted to do something that I would know I could enjoy for the rest of my life. And I, I mean, watching hockey is pretty fun. So, yeah. um, you know, I thought when I was young, I said, man, like, you know, uh, there's, there's nothing that can hold me back from becoming the next big hockey reporter or hockey writer. And so, you know, I've worked hard along the way and met some great people and had some good connections. And, and here we are. Well, Zach, I think, I, I think everyone is really biting at the bit or sorry, is really chomping at the bit for us to talk a little Oilers because it's a complete and utter disaster right now. <sighs> All right. So let's, let's get this started. So as everybody probably <sighs> knows, Zach is, Zach is, has his mouth open as like a, as a laughter, but it's like a nervous laughter just so everybody knows. Uh, so the Oilers, Holy smokes. Uh, we're recording on Thursday, January 6th uh, at approximately 5.45 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, the Oilers have gone 2-9-2 and in their last 13 games, uh, coming off a fresh loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs last night. Awesome. And uh, Dave Tippett, still the head coach. Um, no Ken Holland press conference. No Bob Nicholson press conference. No nothing. Just, just, just silence. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's not it's it's not looking too nice in Oilerville. Um, how how are how are how are you holding up over there? And uh, how are the how are the citizens of Edmonton holding up over there? Uh, they're anxious, honestly. I mean, it's uh, it's a difficult position for this team to be in. It's it's immediately the PTSD triggers of the decade of darkness. I think Fuck for man. so many people that oh. <laughs> watch and follow this team, right? Like I I in a sense, I almost can't help but laugh a little bit. You know, like you look back at you know, November 31st, December 1st, I mean, 15 and five top team in the Pacific had the best points percentage in the league. You know, everybody was like, holy shit, the Oilers are a wagon. Like they're yeah. here. It's time. They have finally done it. And, um, you know, I was pretty nervous through that whole period too, because, you know, like I'm a big analytics guy and, and you could really see in the numbers that there was a lot of flaws to this team. And, you know, I thought, I kind of felt like it was only going to be a matter of time until the skid really started. And uh, I, I won't lie. I didn't expect it to be this bad. I didn't expect the goals to come off this hard. Um, but, you know, here we are. And, and as you mentioned, you know, there doesn't seem to be much appetite to fire the coach, um, which is, is a confusing thing. Um, I don't think it's the worst option at this point in time when we look at uh, Dave Tippett and the body of work that he's had. You know, we all know that general managers typically get two coaches and Dave Tippett was the first one for Holland. So, you know, I think uh, there would be a little bit of minutes of defeat from from Holland as well. And and I don't know if he's the type of guy that would want to do that. It's a difficult situation. Something's got to give because, you know, scheduled to play next Monday, against Ottawa, but that game could be canceled. Um, And then after that, it's another like 10 days. So there's a big gap here, you know, where 
Um, not only do the fans in the market have to sit with these awful results, but the players do too. And that's going to be hard on them. I mean, you know, listening to the presser last night, you could hear the frustration in Leon Dreisaitl's voice. Um, it's palpable. It's there. So it's an interesting time to say the least right now when you, you kind of sit and look at what's been going on. Yeah. And, and at this point, you either get one of two things from a general manager is you get either the coach, like the coach firing, or you get the absolute panic move. And we clearly saw this in 2019 with Peter Shirelli making the, I, I, you know, you know how we, you know how we call like, you know, you know, you know how we, how, how we call a take hot. Well, this is like the version of a hot take, but for trades when he yeah. brought in Alex Petrovic and yeah. uh, what was the other one? Oh, and uh, Oh, Brandon Manning, Brandon oh, Manning. Yeah. Whoopsie yeah. Daisy. Who, who could have forgot that one? Yeah. And it, at this point, we've seen Holland's track record when it comes to moves as a general manager. And I don't know where he can go from here without, without making something that's going to be cataclysmically bad where it sets the team back for another few years, besides like a Jacob Chikrin remove, which clearly he's not interested in doing. Yeah. Yeah. It's a difficult position. Uh, as you mentioned, like the fact that the Oilers have no cap space makes it incredibly difficult. Um, even if they wanted to go pick up a guy like Nick Ritchie on waivers today, um, who's placed there by Toronto earlier in the day, you know, it's a difficult situation to be in because he doesn't really have a lot of cap space to work with, but he also doesn't have a lot of ammunition in the trade market either. Um, you know, the Oilers have the, their first, their first round pick this year. Um, their third round pick is, is going to be going to Chicago for the, the Duncan Keith deal. But something we can't forget is that the second round pick this year also gets held up in that deal. Cause it was a conditional draft pick. Yeah. Um, so Holland's really shot himself in the foot here by, he, he sort of pushed his chips all in at the start of the season. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who could have sat here and told him that that was a pretty bad idea to do, um, given the fact that he used up, you know, $23 million in cap space on Duncan Keith, Warren Fogle, Tyson Berry, and Cody Cece, um, while failing to address any of the needs that have been present there. Um, it's a frustrating situation, uh, I think, for the team to be in. It's especially with especially with that Keith move. It's so tough for me to justify that move. I I I I went on this. I mean, I don't know if you've if if you've ever listened to any previous episodes, but like when that trade happened, I went on a full blown meltdown because it wasn't just that he traded for Duncan Keith. It was the fact that all of the chips were in his like sorry, all of the leverage was in his hand, yeah. and he gave it all up. And no, no matter how you slice it or dice it, whether or not Duncan Keith uh, came back and won the Norris this year, there was no way to say that was a win of a trade because you lost on pure leverage there. And that was what drove me nuts about this whole thing is like, you're telling me you couldn't have had Duncan Keith for, you know, fine, tie up your second or your third, but make sure he's coming in at 2.8 or whatever the hell it would have been with, with, with the salary retained. It just, it drove me completely bonkers. Um, but I figured I would get into a couple of the underlying numbers. I'm, I mean, I know that you've definitely looked at these, but I just figured I, I would bring them back up just to, just to mm -hmm. celebrate because the odd part is, is that for the anti analytics crew, it actually paints a pretty good picture in their favor because, um, so I, I've got, I've just got a few five on five numbers via natural stat trick. So this has been since the penguins win, which 
in of itself was a bad game for the Oilers. I think a lot of people forget that, that that was not a very good game for the team overall. I think that was the Zach Hyman two goals, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And while great story, big win, the numbers behind that game were not in the Oilers' favor. Um, so Corsi four percentage, eighth since this Penguins win uh, with 53.74. Shots four percentage, 11th, 51.82. Goals four percentage, 29th. 40.74, which is the very concerning number. Uh, we don't do Fenwick around here because Fenwick is the cuck of Corsi. Uh, expected goals for 10th, 52.57. So that's pretty good. Uh, and then PDO, which is a number that a lot of people like to bring up, and especially a lot of the um, a lot of the crowd that's basically going. Hey, this team's just going through a rough patch. They don't need to fire the coach. You don't need to do anything like that. Uh, the PDO at this moment at 0.964, which uh, puts them 30th in the league. So you combine that with the with the wins of the early or of the earlier part of the season, but maybe the pedestrian play, which will go into the overall numbers, which the team is now 13th in the league in Corsi 4 with 51.31. Shots four percentage of eight, or they're in 18th with 49.36. Goals four percentage, 22nd, 45.95. Expected goals for 13th with 50.65. And their PDO numbers have obviously tanked majorly uh, at 0.988, which puts them at 27th in the league. So obviously things are not going the team's way right now. The shooting percentage, I, I, I haven't taken a look at actually at the shooting percentage since the Penguins win, but obviously the goaltending has been a major issue and something that we'll probably get to after we talk about this, because uh, that's going to get into the uh, Mike Smith, Miko Koskinen and Dave Tippett uh, love triangle. It's not good. It's not good right now. No, it's an awkward situation. Um, It's a really weird situation. You can clearly tell by looking at the comments in the media over the last number of days who Dave Tippett favors and who Dave Tippett feels is the better of the two goaltenders. Um, you know, obviously much has been made about the 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 mistakes that Miko Koskinen made in that Rangers game and the way that Dave Tippett handled that as well, um, which was pretty disappointing to see, honestly, from, from a head coach who has been quite even keeled for the last two and a half years here at Edmonton. Um, I've listened to every post-game presser and that has definitely been the most awkward and the most uncomfortable one um, because you could sense the defeat in Dave Tippett's voice. And it was one of the first times where it really felt like he kind of broke in that sense. Um, you know, he lambasted Koskinen for, for letting in the first goal, which yeah. Okay, fine. Like Koskinen knows that he made that mistake. Like that's something where you just kind of got to pull the guy aside uh, after the game and be like, Hey man, you know, we really talked about wanting to have a good start to this game. And that's, you know, not only the penalty in 15 seconds in, but letting that goal in, that's a tough situation, you know, only for a couple nights later to see Mike Smith get back in the crease and literally score on himself on the first goal against it's and then for Tippett to make the comments that he did last night of like oh well you know we battled hard yeah he was solid and like yeah like a a weird bounce or two off the board and a couple of skates and it's like what what are we kind of doing here right it's a it's a really weird situation I like I've been following this team for for 15 years 16 well even longer than that now god um but I've been following this team for a long time and I can't recall a goaltending situation ever 
as strange as this. And and like I, I sat through like the Victor Fosh era and the Nikolai oh. Habi Bullet era of weird <laughs> we goaltending at Edmonton, right? We were and, uh we were talking about Victor Foss the other day. <laughs> oh man, and this one, this one just it takes the cake. I, I don't know what to say. I, I think I've actually brought this up before. Uh, and it's 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 kind of like a catch 22, right? Is we're obviously excited because we have Leon Dreisettle and Connor McDavid on this team. So you get to cover two of the greatest players on the planet night in and night out. But it almost makes me think to myself, was the Connor McDavid, okay, this is going to be very like galaxy brain scenario, but like to actually see change on this team, was the Connor McDavid lottery win actually like the worst thing that could have happened to this franchise right now, as it stands, like as it stands right now. Because you think about it, the team walks in to the Connor McDavid draft lottery win. They put all of their chips in into Connor McDavid. They hire Peter Shirelli. Bob Nicholson still sticks around because this is the whole like, because he was hired in 2014, if, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. So you still have Bob Nicholson in the fold as the sort of like the, the overseer or like the puppeteer of everything. And yet this team still makes these boneheaded hockey man decisions, these like hockey Canada. Oh, this is like a, this is like a good pro. You need these, you need these gray beards to win. So you have Peter Shirelli for the four years that, that, that we had him here. And then you immediately transfer on to Ken Holland as a, like, we need to win now. And this is a guy that we believe can win now because he has the history. He has the the streak of winning he knows how to win all this other crap that we've already heard year in and year out because we heard we heard this we heard very similar with peter shirelli well this guy's got a stanley cup but you know he's got a stanley cup ring and so it makes me think to myself like is this is this really what should have happened for this team because realistically you think about it they lose the draft lottery they come in fifth they pick a guy like noah hannafin or they pick uh I mean, God forbid they, they were in like fifth. They probably would have picked like Pavel Zaka or something like that. And Mm -hmm. then you are into, okay, this team still stinks. We need to gut everything. And now you have the added pressure of everybody's watching us. Everybody's looking at us underneath a magnifying glass because we have two generational superstars in this team. And so it, it worries me, man. It worries me. And it stresses me out so much more. Yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of see the argument in a sense, but I think I think it's it's more than having to do with with Connor McDavid, and it more is about that Bob Nicholson hire that I think is what really changed things for this organization. Uh, I wrote about it this last week on on OilersNation.com, where I kind of said like, "Hey, look, you know, this is an organization that's been filled with ineptitude uh, and nepotism for for the better part of 15 years since the team went to the Stanley Cup Finals uh, and lost to Carolina." It's been a constant revolving door of yes men and friends of friends. And it's a frustrating situation to be in. Like even a guy like Dave Tippett, who doesn't really have any hard relationships, was still a a coach in Hockey Canada when Nicholson was running the show there. So no matter how you cut it, there is quite literally Hockey Canada relationships to everybody that the Oilers have brought in for a long time here. You know, to me, it's it's time for a fresh face in this organization, and it's what should have been done in the first place was a complete outside hire, 
you know, somebody who's a bit of a younger mind in the NHL, um, somebody who brings in a bit more of an analytics focused drive to the team. You look at the way teams are doing that these days. Like look at the Florida Panthers, for example, like they've, they, they hired Bill Zito. He's a guy that interviewed quite in depth in Edmonton for the role here, ended up going to Florida. They've gone full on computer boys and they're absolutely one of the most dominant teams in the NHL right now. And they have like six people in the stands watching their games because it's Florida. It's it's ridiculous, right? So I, I think it's time for this this organization to really do a deep dive in that sense and, and try and bring in some some more outside voices that way. Like, I don't know about you, but I know that when, when Holland was first hired, and especially within that first year, I kind of gave him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because it's like you have a lot of really tough contracts to deal with. And I thought the Neil for Lucic move was genius at the time. And to be completely honest, now, forgetting what he did with the cap space is fine, but I, I still think that's a really good move for the team to move on from the boat anchor that was Milan Lucic to be able to trade it for a buyoutable contract. Mm-hmm. But it's like, and, and I, I actually, I actually tweeted this um, from the, uh, from the account for the podcast after this last playoff, r- playoff run. Um, I put that in quotations in case anyone can't see, but uh, I, and, and I met, I said like, this was the summer that we're preparing for. This was the summer where Holland had the, all the cap space chips in, Let's go. And the moment I heard the Duncan Keith trade rumors and that he only wanted to go to Edmonton, my I immediately had heart palpitations because I couldn't like I couldn't fathom this. I was like, no, there, there's no way he has to come at it from a much smarter angle. And you're incredibly right. Like this team doesn't employ proper analytics staff and unfortunately is like two steps behind on everything. And it drives me insane. It's like, you know, you see all these teams making these shrewd moves, just these smart little moves. And you'd think for this team, which is, I mean, they have one of the richest owners in the entire league. And they're somehow, it seems like they're cost. It, it seems like, like they're fucking cost cutting just so that they can do things their old fashioned way. And it, I, I, this is, this is the reason why I, I, I need you here, Zach, is, is so, so, that, so that I can talk about these things and kind of like decompress. Yeah, but you're not wrong, right? It's a frustrating situation. I mean, you look at even the Forbes valuation that came in last month too. The Oilers jumped from like 600 being worth $650 million to $1.1 million. How much does Daryl Cates really care? Like the dude just doubled his his return on investment on this entire franchise over the course of a single year. It's a frustrating situation. And I imagine, of course, he wants to build a winning organization. Um, But for a very long time, as I mentioned, these moves have just been head scratchers. And a lot of it, I feel is there's a a big yes man, yes man attitude in this organization has been for a long time. And, and, you know, old Ken bringing in a guy like Duncan Keith is the greatest example of that. Right. And, you know, what did we hear this entire off season, right? It was about how, you know, Duncan Keith was ready to turn back the clock and how Duncan Keith, you know, wasn't going to miss a single step. (laughs) We'll see who's a step. We'll see who's a step ahead (laughs) of Sue here. Right. Yeah, That's... it turns out Duncan Keith is not a step ahead of anybody. Um, you know, he looks slow. He looks exactly what a lot of people were saying he was, was, you know, washed up. And you hate to see it and you hate to say it because, you know, he is a guy 
purely from an on-ice standpoint, uh, not even getting into anything else that has to do with Duncan Keith. From a pure on-ice standpoint, he's been one of the best defensemen the NHL's seen this decade and for the last uh, 20 years to roll through the league. And he's far from that at this point in time. And, you know, the on-ice results just go to show for that. And so, you know, you mentioned earlier the lack or the leverage that Holland had in that deal and to walk away without any salary retained while still giving up a good young asset in Caleb Jones. Like, you know, I was looking at it the other day. Uh, Duncan Keith's underlying numbers right now are worse for the Edmonton Oilers than Caleb Jones's were last year. Yeah, that's that's that 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 doesn't surprise me at all. Like it, no, of course <laughs> yeah. not, right? But it's like, what what are we doing here, right? Like, oh, because Caleb Jones was young, he couldn't play. Like, it's like it just doesn't make sense. And there's uh there's a lot of issues that are plaguing this organization, and I I think it's been a top down thing for for some time. So okay, I I guess we should probably get into the overall. Um, the overall, I guess, tippet discussion, because we kind of talked about the goaltending, but I kind of wanted to talk about what we expect um, because there's obviously one game. There's one game for what the next two weeks or something like that. Is that what it is? Yeah. yeah it's uh, more it's, or less. It, yeah. 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 So like there's no, there's no way there's absolutely no way that if they blow this to the sense that there, there's no way tippets, the head coach after, right? Like we have to, we have to assume so. Right. I mean, I, I kind of thought there might be something that came down today. Um, I'm not overly surprised that it didn't at the end of the day. Um, but yeah, I do think that if like if the Oilers lose to Ottawa and Tippett loses a 12th game in the row behind in the in a row rather behind the bench, like something has to give. Something has to give. And typically, you would say, "Oh yeah, well, it has to be a trade." But like. Ken Holland can't even really do that. Like he can't even really go out and make the kind of a trade that the team would need. And I don't think that one trade is going to change anything because of the way Dave Tippett is deploying players, the way he's utilizing players and the coaching style that he brings. But to answer your initial question. Yeah. I think if, if the Oilers lose to Ottawa, like something, like something has to give. I'm see. I'm, I'm of this very weird mindset and maybe it's just because I, I love getting disappointed. Um, but I have this like weird vision in my head that they do make the move to fire hall or sorry to fire Tippett. <laughs> we know Hall's not going anywhere, uh, but to fire Tippett, you either bring in whether it be Jay Woodcroft or whatever, but I, I genuinely feel like a, a, a guy with a little bit more offensive acumen, that can come in and a little bit better of a defensive structure. Cause people forget with Dave Tippett, like he was out of hockey for like what, three years. Like yeah. he had, he hadn't worked in hockey. He was, he was working for Seattle behind the scenes yeah. and don't get me wrong. Like there, there's certain aspects you can point to, but unfortunately those are not, those are not translating anymore. You can look at the power play and PK numbers and, but the power play was already phenomenal underneath or underneath what was it uh uh mcclellan and uh, uh hitchcock for the yeah, period I, yeah. I, yeah i i always forget about i always forget about Ken hitchcock but you you look at that and he basically had that lined up right from there because you have connor mcdavid and leon dry on your team so sorry it's but like hard. it's it's basically a guarantee right and then but as it stands right now the power play is what I don't, I haven't even looked at the numbers a lot in the last little while because it's been making me go crazy, but I think they're like, what are they three for the last like 26 or something like that? 
Yeah, something like that. And they're still like the best power play in the league, which is just comical yeah. to me. And it's so funny because and I, I, I'm going to kind of excuse you from this because I know you probably have have relationships with like local media and stuff, but a lot of the, some of the, some of the takes coming from coming from like the mainstream Edmonton media guys is just mind altering because it's, Oh, well they still, Oh, well they still have the number one power play in the league. And I mean, I I'm assuming we can probably, you can probably guess who I'm basically pointing to number one. Um, but that gentleman is always pointing to like the bright side or like, Oh, th- this is how this is going. But the, the, the crazy good PK percentage has torn, has is, is gone completely down in flames. The great power play percentage has gone completely down in flames. And what has happened is if there's any adjustments, it is the most illogical adjustment that we know doesn't work. And you know a Dave Tippett late game coaching adjustment from a mile away. Cause it's like, Oh, granted if Connor's healthy or sorry, Connor wasn't healthy last night, but you know, damn well that last night you're down by one. What's going to happen. Oh, Connor and Leon hop over the boards. And then with whatever the hell he was doing with yesterday, Paul Yarvi, we'll get into that. But oh, so Connor, Connor, Leon, and Zach Cassian hop out over the boards, and then we'll throw Nurse and Barry together if Barry was also playing as well. So we know these things from a mile away, and yet he cannot get creative in the slightest. When was the last time we saw Cody Cece and Duncan Keith split on a pairing? I, I don't think we have. Yeah. And it's just at, at this point, like, the, the, the message has to have become stale. You can see, and I, I don't mean to be like a body language expert because I know that we as Edmonton fans hate that when Toronto fans do that to us all the time. It's like, oh, Connor's not happy, you know, all, all that jargon. But like, I don't know about you, but I, I, I've personally seen that. I really think that a lot of these guys are like dejected and don't and are clearly not happy with the results. And I feel like the message from the coaching staff is wearing off at this point. Yeah, you have to wonder. Um, you have to wonder if it is. I mean, I think there's been some pretty piss poor f- performances uh, from this club on the ice in the last week or so. You look at that Rangers game, that thing was awful. The oh. St. Louis game, that one was bad. The New Jersey game, they had some legs, but it was a shootout. It was just run and gun. Dave Tippett just said, okay, go ahead and and let's fly with them, right? Um, and then you look at last night, like, like it was the most frustrating game last night, uh, talking about the Wednesday game against the Leafs. Because, you know, you watch that game and you're like, hey, you know what? That actually, like, wasn't that bad of a game. Like, it seemed like the Oilers were there trading chances. And you peel back the peel back the onion a little bit, as I wrote uh, in my day after post this morning. And it was an ugly, ugly game. Like, the Oilers, after their second goal, generated only 1.3 expected goals the rest of the game. Uh, it was a very stagnant performance from a team that's desperate for a win. Um, and, of course, after the game, you know, Tippett asked, gets asked about like, oh, well, are you seeing the guys fight? And, you know, Dreisaitl's getting asked like, you know, oh, are you quitting on the coach? What's What do you think Dreisaitl's going to yeah. say? Oh, yeah, we've given up on Dave Tippett. Like, come <laughs> on. Like, it just, you know the answer to the question before you ask it, right? Um, 
So obviously, you know, dry titles not going to say, Oh yeah, we've given up on the coach, but you know, you watch the team play and you watch them out there and you have to wonder, uh, as you mentioned, Nolan, if that message is getting stale from, from the coaching staff, um, you know, what is Dave Tippett doing to be creative out there? Oh, well, he's putting Devin Shore in the top six and he's playing them more minutes than, than Zach Hyman and Jesse Pugliarvi and Ryan McLeod. Like what? And, you know, Tippett's coming out and saying, oh, well, you know, like McLeod's played probably four or five of his best games in the NHL and he's still getting like eight or nine minutes a game at five on five. Like it just doesn't make sense. There's no creativity. Uh, Even last night, a guy like Kyle Turris playing as much as he did getting power play one time. Like what? That doesn't make any sense. The coaching decisions are what is frustrating the most uh, and the way he's deploying the players because uh, it's 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 frustrating and confusing to see guys like Jesse Pugliarvi, who have been who's been one of the best players on the whole team this year, uh, getting sewered with his third least amount of ice time last night. It's a it's a frustrating situation all around. And I think the message has to change because whatever it has been clearly isn't working. I'm glad you brought up Ryan McLeod because um, I was thinking about that whole like Darren Drager report that was out there earlier this week about, about the, the, about the Oilers needing a three C and a goaltender. And it, it, it drives me nuts because it's like, I, I thought that Derek Ryan was supposed to come in and be this, like be this holdover. And I mean, that's a whole separate discussion about why Derek Ryan looked so great with his underlying numbers. And then all, and then all of a sudden is now just like a complete and utter sieve on the ice. Like no offense to Derek Ryan, but, and I know U of a U of a alumni, Derek Ryan, but the, uh, the thing that I've, I've had is like a hot take the last little while is this team doesn't need a three C this team has a three C in, in my opinion. And it's Ryan McLeod. It's just play the guy. Like you have to use the, you have to use what's given to you. And Ryan McLeod so far, ever since he was sent down and came back up, he has shown that he is willing to do what he needs to in order to win over this coaching staff. And this is also not being put in advantageous offensive situations because typically with a young player who's gifted offensively that we've seen down at a minor league level, why don't you put them in a situation that they're good at instead of like, trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. I don't get it. It's the same thing with Tyler Benson too. Like, oh Hey, yeah. God. Wow. There's this really young skilled offensive talent. Ah, oh, yeah. Let's turn him into a checker, a third or a fourth line grinder. It's like, wait, what? Like, what are we doing here? Um, the frustration is, is boiling over and it's palpable and it's real. And it's, it's not uh, to anybody listening. Don't, don't feel bad because you're frustrated. Don't feel like you shouldn't be frustrated. You should be frustrated. You should be pissed off. We're in year seven of Connor McDavid and year eight of Leon Dreisaitl. Um, We have to, this team needs to play the best players that are on the team. The most amount of minutes play Pugliarvi, play Hyman, give McLeod some more runway. He's got the best uh, expected goals against per hour rate of any forward on this team. He's been the best defensive forward the Oilers have, and they're playing him nine minutes a game. So it's, uh, I don't know how many times I can say it's frustrating, but God, it's frustrating. And, and that's, and that, and, and that's just the forwards because we, we like I, the, I, I, I always see, um, 
I always love seeing on Oilers Twitter because Oilers Twitter is just a is just a fun house of of, of imagination, isn't it? Um, the I, I always love seeing an Oilers goal against and seeing it being broken down by guys who have who have coached hockey in lower leagues and stuff, and just seeing it and they're like does this team not have any sense of like gap control at the very least? Because it seems like every forward on an opposing team has like 11 feet of room to come in and, and, and friggin' operate. And it's just for a guy who was touted for his defensive structure in those years in Arizona and was always talked about as like the defensive whisperer, like, they think it's like not very good at coaching defense. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's noticed this. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I, I don't, I, I, as much as I want to be optimistic that there is a coaching change and like, I've, I, I've, I've said this before, but like, I don't ever wish somebody to lose their job. I really don't. But at this point, like you mentioned, year seven of McDavid, year eight of Dreisaitl, this team's time for like, oh, we need it. We need time to get it to, 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 you know, to work the kinks out. No, this team has no time. We need to win now and like get going now. And if we're seeing results from the AHL, and I know that Bakersfield has had a bit of a shaky start to their season this year, Mm -hmm. but you sign Jay Woodcroft to an extension to play or to coach in the AHL. As far as I know, I don't know if he got any, any any NHL coaching opportunities this last off season. You probably know more about that than I would, but um, I don't know if he got any actual NHL opportunities, but it does seem like, Jay Woodcroft is a guy that they are trying to maybe potentially, hopefully, possibly groom into an NHL head coach. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of interesting when you look at it in the big picture. Uh, Jay Woodcroft joined the Oilers a couple of years ago under Todd McClellan. He was an assistant coach for a year, um, and now he spent three years as the head coach of the uh, Bakersfield Condors. Very similar, actually, to what happened in Detroit with Jeff Blashill. Uh, He joined the Detroit Red Wings for a year as an assistant coach, and he spent three years down at the American League level coaching the Grand Rapids Griffins, um, Detroit's AHL affiliate there. And he stepped up and was hired, promoted from within by Ken Holland uh, to take over the job as the head coach in the NHL. So there's a track record there of Holland doing something like that and it working. Um, obviously Detroit's a bit of a different situation. They're a team that's been going through more of a rebuild, but Blashill's also getting a lot out of the players that he has on his team for a team that's still pretty young. Uh, granted in Edmonton, I think they're like the, I think the Oilers right now are like the sixth oldest team in the NHL, uh, which is a little bit surprising because all you hear is, Oh, the Oilers are a young team. Well, they're really not anymore. Um, but the one truth of the matter is, is that Jay Woodcroft has relationships with a lot of the players on this team um whether it's the forwards whether it's the defenseman whether it'll be a net with a guy like Stuart Skinner who should be playing a lot more minutes than he is but that's a whole other story um you know so it would be interesting to see see the team go that way with Woodcroft I think he's probably the best candidate to take over um and and into the future and I think one thing also that's not talked about a lot is Dave Manson as well who's been um doing the player coaching the defenseman at the American league level. Um, look at the guys that have come up and played well for the Edmonton Oilers as young defensemen. granted not given much opportunity because of the coaching decisions again. Um, but still uh, some impressive stuff nonetheless that they're doing down there. I, and I'm actually glad you brought that up because I don't know if you've noticed it, but I, I seem to have noticed it. Maybe I'm being, maybe, maybe I'm a little, a little crazy with, 
like besides Dmitry Samarukov, am I the only one that's noticed that basically when a young defenseman gets called up from Bakersfield, they look really good in their first game and then they look not very good the next game. And I feel yeah, like it's because they're coming up with like, okay, this is what Dave Manson taught me and all that stuff. And now it's like, okay, Jim Playfair. Like, yeah, it's interesting. I never really thought about it, honestly. Um, very possible for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. You would hope that the, the message throughout your organization will be very similar, very similar systems, very similar styles of play. Um, to me, that would make sense for an organization to try and do. But uh, we've seen some weird things again uh, at the NHL level here. Um, from from the way that Dave Tippett and Playfair and, and Gullitson have, have coached these players up. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because if you say, okay, well, Dave Tippett isn't the right guy anymore for this team, um, we're going to let him go mid-season here um, and bring up Jay Woodcroft, you know, then you have to find coaches to replace the American League level as well. Then you have to find coaches probably to replace the, the East Coast yeah. League level as well. So it's a it's a bit of a, a bigger picture conversation more than how it affects the Edmonton Oilers because it would have a ripple effect through the organization. Um, you know, maybe there's somebody who would step up. Like I think Glenn Gullitson could step up as an interim head coach for the team. In the meantime, he's got the experience of doing it in the past also already. Um, it would allow for for Playfair to continue to run the defenseman and and for Brian Wiseman to maybe come down from the box and 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 be on the bench. Um, it, it's an interesting scenario for sure. And then of course you hear all of the, uh, the, the rumblings and lack of rumors or suggestions of Mike Babcock. Right. And it almost seems like it's more of just a meme thing that people are uh, I, saying rather than yeah. like it being anything legitimate. Right. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree with you on that. I, I've never bought into the Mike Babcock stuff and it's only because like, I think there's, there's, there's two very big factors. And the first one being, I genuinely think that no matter what the plan, no matter how this season went, I think Dave Tippett was going to probably leave the team at, at the end of the day. Cause like he's on an expiring contract. It didn't really seem like there was much talks about, uh, you know, about an extension and the fact that it seems like Ken Holland is trying to groom Jay Woodcroft. Like it, it really does seem like it. Um, and so there was that. And then the second part is, do we really think Mike Babcock wants to come back to Canada to coach? Like, well, I mean, I mean, to be fair, he's coaching at the University of Saskatchewan right now. Yeah. Uh, so he is he is in a sense, you know, in the Canadian market already. Yeah. Right. I would I was more so talking from like a media market more than anything is like, do we yeah, really fair. expect do we really expect Mike Babcock to want to be under the microscope again like he was in Toronto? Because you take over the Edmonton Oilers while you're taking on Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl and all those guys. And it's if you thought it was tough in Toronto, it's going to be just as tough out here. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the appetite is for Mike Babcock. Does he want to stick at the, at the university of Saskatchewan and, and just coach there for the next couple of years? Cause he's going to be getting up there in age as well. Right. So, you know, is he a guy closer to retirement? I mean, we see guys in the NHL, you know, coach for a very long time, right. Um, or, or work in organizations rather for a very long time. Um, so uh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no! Oh no! I was going to let you finish your point there. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was just going to say, you know, it, it's an interesting question, an interesting thing to ponder because is Mike Babcock the right coach for this team? Either um, you look at what happened in Toronto in his last days there with Tyson Berry, the stories that came out about Mitch Marner and the way Babcock treated other young players. 
it feels like my like bringing in Mike Babcock would be just asking for more of the same, uh, which again, in my eyes, is not the the correct message for this team or for this market either. I completely agree with you, uh, Zach. I, I I I know I know we don't have much time, but I wanted to get into just a couple more things uh, before uh, before we we have our we have our goodbyes. Um, so going back to the point of like, you know there's either a monumental trade that's going to happen. Well, I shouldn't say monumental, but like a trade that's going to happen, like a roster shakeup or a coaching firing. Um, I'm, I'm of the mindset. I, I do think that there is a pretty decent trade in the works, but I don't know. I, I have a couple of names that I think really could be really could maybe be out there. Um, what are, what are you thinking? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it's a difficult situation. Again, what does the team feel uh, from a larger standpoint of where they need to go? Uh, obviously, they'll be desperate to make the playoffs. Uh, currently sitting with the second wild card spot. Uh, anything other than the playoffs would be unacceptable in the eyes of, of virtually anybody in the hockey world here. So do they want to go all in and do they want to try and push their chips in? Well, again, you know, the lack of cap space is a thing that's going to make things difficult as well. And then you say, okay, well, where do you really want to address things? Do you want to go on the back end with a, a Ben Sherratt as a rental player? Do you want to go Jacob Chikrin for the bigger picture? Um, you know, do you need to bring in a depth forward like a Jack Roslevic or a Max Domi? Um, Riley Smith is a guy in Vegas who could be on the move. Um, I don't think that would work out because Vegas is trying to clear out cap space. Uh, of course, Ricard Raquel is always an interesting name as well, right? <laughs> shout out Tyler. Yeah, shout out Tyler. <laughs> Or do you go with the the old wily veteran in Phil the Thrill Kessel, right? I mean, <laughs> there's there's certainly no lack of options uh, from from a trade market perspective. But again, too, the other thing we have to keep in mind is is who's out there that's going to be wanting to throw the Emerson Oilers a life raft right now, right? They're a sinking ship. Who's going to want to throw a life raft? Because you you imagine whatever the price is for X player you know, that price is probably 1.25 or one and a half times as much because it's the Oilers. And because other general managers know that the Oilers are desperate because their general manager has made some horrible trades that have handicapped this damn team. So it's a it's a frustrating situation uh, to try and look at and try and evaluate because I don't see there being very many realistic trade options for this team right now. So my, I have these like, the i have um i i, I want to be like I, i'm like the freaking joker because all i have are negative thoughts uh but i my like my ultimate dream scenario and and i've actually said this on on the show before um and my my co-host absolutely hates when i bring it up but like you know maybe a potential expiring rfa on an on an on an on an east team that's not really in a playoff position as they speak might be friends with the asset Could we, could we maybe make a little Patrick line a work? I don't know how. And at the same time, I'm, I'm fucking terrified of dealing with the armor Kekalainen because I'm actually genuinely, I like, I genuinely believe that he knows witchcraft and I, I don't want I don't want any part in Yarmo Kekalainen because I already know that he will, he will completely rob uh, Ken Holland at gunpoint. So I, that, that's a little, that's, that's, that, that would be my dream scenario would be have a full blown, like goal score on McDavid's line with Yesse, which I, I think would be, 
just a chef's kiss. And then you can kind of move everything down and around as we speak. Um, and, and it's, it sucks that, that they're really good, but I, I was, I was hammering home Hampus Lindholm as an option just because he was a, just cause he was mm-hmm. a, a, an expiring UFA. And I really thought that's a guy that you can bring in and you can plug in on your, you know, second or third pairing or hell, hell, even like the top pairing if you needed to, but like, could a guy like Hampus Lindholm not work with someone like Tyson Berry where he can cover up for a lot of Tyson Berry's mistakes? I mean, you know, I, I that gets into a discussion about Tyson Berry as a player in general. And I've gone on record talking about Tyson Berry, so I won't get into it too much more, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think that there's, there's so many like tantalizing targets you can maybe look at, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. Like teams are going to be looking at Ken Holland and are going to be praying because they know that he will give in, that he will give in to whatever their demands are because he is desperate as hell. And I honestly think at this point, if you make a coaching change and you elevate some of those younger guys up and you really see what you got with them, because you have to see what you have with these guys, because like Tyler Benson, this is really like the make or break year. I, I, I really like that you brought him up, but it's like, how does a player that was a point per game in the AHL come to the NHL? And he sh- like, he has absolutely no offensive production. He shows flashes, but how is it? But that's also because he's playing with like Devin shore and, uh, uh, Colton Sevier, right? Like love Colton Sevier, but goodness gracious. Um, so I, I don't, I'm with you, man. Like I, I, I really, I really don't know what the team has in them to, in order to make a, make a move. I mean, maybe Dylan Holloway, if he comes up and he's ready to go, but. But again, you're, you're putting trust in a kid who's 18, 19, 20 yeah. years old. Like we've, the, the problem is, is that the Oilers are a team that's littered with young depth pieces right? Like it's Ryan McLeod, it's Tyler Benson, it's Evan Bouchard, it's Philip Broberg, it's Lavoie. So, you know, we sit here and we say, okay, well, we look at a guy like Ryan McLeod, who's been one of the better Oilers this year, and you have a head coach in Dave Tippett who's been reluctant to play him, right? So to me, it's, it's, it's almost more of an issue of the way the coaching staff is deploying the players that are here right now. Um, and I think that's something that's really limiting and hampering the ability. Um, his consistent favoring of guys like Devin Shore and Kyle Turris in key situations, as we saw last night, uh, it's a head-scratching move. And so, you know, again, circles all back to, well, maybe a coaching change is what you need and, and bringing in somebody who can resonate a little better and, and trust the younger players uh, a little bit more as well. Well, on that note, I, I, I think you, yeah. You, you make some great points. I'm, I'm very much of the mindset that you have to trust young guys. I think that, um, I mean, obviously coming from a, from a, from a millennial like myself, we have to trust young people to do the right thing. So Dave Tippett, please trust young people. I'm, I'm asking, I'm begging you actually, please trust young people. Um, before you go, Zach, I wanted to just do like, I, I've been trying to like incorporate some like rapid fire things i i don't know i but nice. I, I just I, I i just need to i just wanted to do that so i figure i give you three questions you give me one word answers for e- for each of them okay okay all right first and foremost one word to describe your bears experience this year god damn it <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> that's all i got on that one that's that's it's been a long year man hey i i'm like 
I'm an Eagles fan and I had to, I, I had like a, I had like a moratorium for the Carson Wentz trade at the beginning or at, at, uh, you know, last year or whenever the hell they made the trade. Um, and I, I, the entire year I was rooting for them to miss the playoffs. Cause I'm like, please, please, please. I want, I want early draft picks. And lo and behold, it's going to be a, like a bunch of, uh, anywhere from like 15 to 32. And so uh, that, that's whatever. Um, the, uh, the next one, your favorite acquisition of this last off season. Um, it's probably got to be Warren Fogle. Um, he hasn't been tremendous. He hasn't been great. I think he's been solid since he's been acquired. Like I just, nobody else really jumps out at me. I guess I've liked Cody CC's game as well. I've, I've liked Cody um, CC as well, but uh, yeah, I, I definitely haven't hated what Fogel's brought to the table either. Okay. Well, I, I like that pick. Cause I mean, it, it seems like, it seems like the go ahead would be Zach Hyman for just about everybody, but I, I agree with you. I love me some Warren Fogel. It's really I, sucks. I mean, Hyman's such an easy one, yeah. right? Like it's, I, it's, it's very clear and very apparent that he's been super effective. And I think Fogel's a guy who, who's maybe gone a little bit under the radar so far this year. Uh, believe it or not, my pick is actually Colton Sevier. I've loved Col- I've loved Colton Sevier, and I think and I I was talking about this actually earlier before the season started. It was like I feel like he just does what Art Josh Archibald did, but like better. Yeah. <laughs> so it makes honestly, me, and then you don't have to deal with the headache of like the unvaccinated stuff. And but shout out Josh Archibald. We hope you get better. Uh, and then the last thing, the king kicker, do the Evanston Oilers make the playoffs? Great question. Um, I, I say yes. Like, I still think at the end of the day, this team finds a way to get it done. I don't think it's going to be pretty. I think it's going to be ugly. And I think it's going to need to be Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl putting the team on their back once again and, and willing them into the playoffs. I feel like that's the case if Dave Tippett's still the head coach. I fir- I, I, I I'm, I'm hammering it home. I'm, I'm, I'm telling everybody right now, if they in fact make Jay Woodcroft the head coach, I think we're going to see a much different team going into the playoffs. Yeah. We'll see. Though. I think so too. We'll see. I, and, and I mean, one thing too, just on the last thing on the coaching thing for me, uh, it's really hard to be somebody who follows the Oilers seeing what's happening uh, in Vancouver Yeah, with Bruce. There it is. I mean, it's, it's frustrating. And, and you can help but wonder if this is a team in the same need of bringing in a, another player-friendly coach and somebody who can can really turn this thing around. Because the Oilers, I think, are still a good team. I still think they're a good team. So do uh, I. They just, they just have some pretty serious flaws. And anytime you got McDavid and Dreisaitl playing, um, you know, it, it gets uh, – you're a deadly team at the end of the day. They're no way as bad as their underlying metrics tell us. And I, no. I will, I will hammer that home until the cows come home. Uh, well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on, man. And uh, I, we really, pre- I really appreciate it. Um, love to get you back on. Hopefully at some point this season. Um, I mean, love I, to be back. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah. This was a lot of fun. It, it was fun just to shoot the shit about the Oilers for, for an hour. So um, you can follow Zach on Twitter at ZJ Lang because we are Canadian. We do not say Z um, ZJ Lang on Twitter. Um, you can find them obviously on Oilers nation, daily face off nation network. And uh, you know, when, when, when you tune in some golden bears games, you can hear Zach on there as well, but Thank you very much, Zach, for coming on. Really appreciate it. We'll we'll see you around. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It was a blast. 
Thanks a lot to Zach again for coming on. Really appreciate it. Um, really great follow once again on Twitter. If you guys, uh, uh, if you guys didn't over here, uh, ZJ Lang on Twitter. Uh, you can find him there. He'll basically be tweeting a bunch of Oilers stuff as well as air fryer knowledge. Um, I might, I might have to do a nice quick little check just before we go. Oh, um, shout out for ply Alex, floor pie Alex for the, uh, note that Spotify now has ratings. So if you guys can go and give us a five-star rating on Spotify, please also go give us a, a ratings on, uh, on Apple Podcasts as well. It's really appreciated. It just gets more and more exposure out there. Just kind of bumps us up the ladder. So if you guys can go and do that, that would be fantastic. We appreciate you. We love you. We thank you. And as always, boys, welcome.